Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Again, that's Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Please stand for the reading of God's word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at, that, at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the thrones of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Good afternoon, everyone. Could I get the lights up so I could see the faces? All right, would you join me as we continue to worship, as we pray? Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock, our redeemer. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Back in the days when I uh, used to exercise a little more regularly, I would often just run out in the new Overpeck Park, either listen to a podcast or listen to Audible. One and a half speed to twice the speed. And one of the episodes of a podcast I was listening to was uh, this thing called Catalyst, and they had an interview with a young lady by the name of Katie Davis. And I was just really captivated by her story. And then I just went online to buy the Audible book titled Kisses from Katie. And it was about her, this life as a 19-year-old, giving up the typical, normal American life of cheeseburger shopping and dating, a former homecoming queen from Brentwood, Tennessee, was planning on enrolling in college very soon. 2007, decided to take one year and go to Uganda. And she was gonna just uh, be there for one year and then start college. And as she was spending that one year teaching these kindergartners, she began to notice that these kids 
in the middle would stop dropping out. Either their parents couldn't afford to send them to school anymore, or their parents began passing away and they were sent away to orphanages. God began tugging Katie's heart and she accepted that call. She began asking for donations and volunteers to help with these kids. And then she told her parents, mom and dad, Africa is now going to be my new home. Her parents were definitely not for it. They thought she was a little crazy at first. She says this, I never planned this for my life. It was just one little step of obedience at a time. She said, the next straight thing was to go to Uganda. The next straight thing would be to let people who don't have a home live in your house. The next straight thing is to feed this child. It was continuing on that path of saying yes to the next person God placed in front of me. She was 19 when she founded this ministries called Amazima Ministries. And at the early age of 19, she, began, she became a mother of 13 Ugandan orphaned children in a, this village called Njinja, Uganda. And by 12, 2012, through that ministry, they were feeding and educating about 2,500 children, planning to create this community that would be more self-sustaining. Amazima in Ugandan language means truth. Um, from John 8, 32, now you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. One of the children that she brought into her home was a girl by the name of Agnes. Agnes was only nine. My youngest is nine, so I can't fathom this. Agnes was raising her two other sisters at the age of five and seven. She's nine, raising these other two because her father passed away. Now, Agnes was so used to being the mom in her family, she couldn't really accept with ease Katie being now her mom. Every morning she would wake up, uh, grab this big jerry can, and go outside to collect water. Now she didn't have to because they had water. And now she could finally be a child and experience that childhood that she never had a chance to experience. Katie, as she continues in her story, begins to become very transparent, telling how this was a struggle. Sure, first month it was just amazing. She loved these kids. She loved being there. And then the second month, that novelty, as it began wearing out, she began getting tired of washing her hair in that bucket and just going through the, the lifestyle. And she missed her cheeseburgers. Spiritually, she began relying on God as she had never done before. As God began stripping her away from all things and became, became more dependent on God. And that actualization became even more magnified. She drew closer to God. In the book that was released, uh, I think around the fall of 2012, she says, I know what this means. Now, she was blogging about this um, before. More eyes on us. I struggle with the thought of it. All I want is more eyes on him. I am just a broken mess, 
grabbing for his feet, reaching out to touch his cloak, thankful for his mercy that washes over me. I'm just a little girl, relieved to crawl into his lap and curl over there. I just found out yesterday she released a new book, so I just bought it yesterday, and I'm going to listen to it this week, titled Daring to Hope. There was a price that Katie Davis paid to make this beautiful miracle become a reality for these children that she brought into her home, as well as thousands of kids that she's able to minister through this ministry she began cost her her normal American life gave up on her college career hopes and the comfort of living with all the amenities that we are used to but now she enjoys and she's able to realize that she gets to do this as we continue during this season of Advent and the sermon series on Christmas is not your birthday. The question that I, I find myself asking myself, we say we want to see miracle happen. The question that I'm challenged to ask myself is, am I prepared to see the true cost of miracles happening in this season in my life? Are we ready to count that cost? The passage that was read to us by Kenny, we are probably somewhat familiar with. Here's a young teenage girl who gets her life disrupted by God. She, as Pastor Eugene um, mentioned last week, she's pledged to be married. She's engaged. It's legally done. She just hasn't consummated. No girl getting ready, planning on the consummation plans on getting pregnant before the actual day. Pregnancy isn't something that, you know, you want to find yourself in. I've served many people who, before they were engaged, they found themselves pregnant, surprise, um, and then getting engaged. I've served people, try to, Minister to people who were engaged. Surprise. Actually, it's not a surprise, right? It's like, if you do it, it happens. They get pregnant, and then they speed up the marriage date. And I've seen people who are married for 10, 20 years. Often, the guys would have that procedure done. And then 10 years later, surprise, wife's pregnant. And it gets very, very challenging to say the least a lot of questions and doubts and wondering what happened it's one thing to see how people respond here but he, here is this one young lady who's risking her future possibility of this child's future Part of me wonders, like, does she really know what she is getting herself into? When God disrupted Mary's life, this news of pregnancy, she's, she's honest. She's not blindly like, accepting. She, she wants to know, how is this possible? I'm a virgin. I don't, 
I haven't known a man. I haven't slept with anyone. And the angel begins to explain, rightly, right? It's like, this is a big deal. And as the angel explains how the Holy Spirit will come upon her, and she will bear this child, Jesus, Savior. And then adds that, you know what? Another miracle happened. The barren relative you have, Elizabeth, she's also pregnant. God can make a barren woman pregnant, and God can make a virgin pregnant. And I'm amazed by this verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, may be to me as you have said. I'm amazed by her yes. Whatever security she thought she was going to get with this marriage, whatever hope she had of having children and a family, any sort of normalcy that she was hoping for, she was giving up. At best, she would be raising this child alone, people calling her slut, calling the child a bastard son, and at worst, she'd be stoned to death. That's what she's saying yes to. It's not the most exciting thing. It's like, yes, sign me up. I often think that I have, and perhaps some of us have, thought of worship as something we do. We, we leave aside disruptions of life, and we want to just focus on God. And the more and more, especially when I look at Scripture, as we read today, that Kenny, Deacon Kenny read, I'm reminded that worship is something that we do as we embrace life disruptions that God places in our life. Mother Teresa was someone I'm sure that many, if not all of us, are familiar with, founder of Missionaries of Charity, a Roman Catholic religious order that really ministered to people, especially in the last final days and hours. She ministered to people that no one else wanted to, to those who are dying in the deathbeds of HIV AIDS, to leprosy, tuberculosis, serving people through soup kitchens, dispensaries, mobile clinics, orphanages, and schools that no one would want to invest in. And all these people who have taken a vow of chastity, poverty, and obedience and she even won the Nobel Peace Prize in 79, perhaps before most of us weren't born, but that's okay. I think sometimes I can romanticize about a life someone like her lived, and perhaps we can romanticize about people who serve in this way. But her experience of God was nothing close to being perfect, and she talks about um, the absence, God's absence in her journey, this darkness of faith. And during four decades of ministering, 
while she's bringing the presence of God to people in their final days, she felt the absence of God. And this is some of the words she wrote. Jesus has a very special love for you. As for me, the silence and the emptiness is so great that I look and do not see. Listen and do not hear. The tongue moves in prayer but does not speak. I want you to pray for me that I let him have a free hand. Being favored by God, being called and used by God does not grant us a perfect life. I think I want that. And maybe someone who, who feel like haven't really experienced normal life, whatever that means anyway, there's a longing for that even more. And sooner we give up on this idea of perfect, sooner we give up on this idea of undisrupted life, Maybe sooner we will begin to receive the opportunity that God wants to give us. Interrupt us for his glory. Maybe it's because I have experienced what it's like to be misunderstood. Being picked on. Attacked with words and fists. One of the things that I personally wrestle or detest the most is people assuming things about me, talking about me, instead of talking with me. Without knowing me and speaking with me, making assumptions. And there's a longing in my heart to want to go out of my way to explain. It's like, no, you don't understand. You have it wrong. I want to be understood maybe you too. And in my close to 20 years of ministry in northern Jersey, I find myself wrestling with this a lot, and especially in the first half of my ministry. I wanted to, and I tried to explain myself, because I, at the end of the day, valued my name. I didn't want it to be misunderstood. I confess that it was really more often about my honor than God's honor. When you're in ministry, people say a lot of things to you, bring a lot of things, and ask you to just pray for them. And in your desire to protect individuals or people or groups, you find yourself just really wanting to explain, but you know you shouldn't. And it's a burden that is quite heavy. I'm thinking to myself, if I had been married, and if I haven't received that death sentence by getting stoned, there would have been this immense desire within me to explain to people. I was not promiscuous. I did not cheat on my spouse-to-be. This child is not the result of my sin. You need to know that. I think I would really... I wrestle with that because I don't like people looking down on me. And deep down, I'll be honest, I pride myself in my name that I am I'm trustworthy, that I can walk with my head on high. And there's still a lot of that in me that God is working. 
to refine and cleanse. Mary would have to get ready to give up on that. Whatever name she had, honor she had. And to confess, I think if I'm honest, in my weak moments, I would rather hold on to my name intact than to the name of Jesus. When people speak ill of my name, I have a hard time trusting in Jesus' name. I want to defend my name and what Jesus did in his life, what he finished on the cross. I know it is complete here, but it often doesn't feel enough in those moments. And in those moments, God, by his word and through situations and people around me, challenged me to recalibrate, come back. Some of us, when we recite the Apostles' Creed, including myself, we kind of go into that rote memorization mode. I value it. It's kind of like recalibration mode. It's like I need to ground myself. I need to go back to the basics. Now, if she did try to explain to people about what actually happened or didn't happen, people would have thought she's crazy or she's just a flat liar. At a human level, Mary and her encounter with this angel of God and the news, oh, favored one, really challenges me, still challenges me today. If I open my heart and allow God to speak, I'm reminded that Christmas isn't my birthday. It has never been, and it's never been about us anyway. Yet so easy it is to think and live that way. But the cost Mary paid, risking her life, her future security, her dignity, really, the cost she paid ultimately points us to the cost that God in the person of Jesus Christ paid for you and me. The true cost of Christmas is what God, the triune God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit paid in forfeiting their perfect, eternal, intimate communion, disrupting their perfect, eternal communion to bring salvation for people like you and me. The yes of Mary really ultimately points us to the yes of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And yes of Jesus Christ who said yes and humbling himself and coming as one of us instead of in his fullness of his glory. The cost of the eternal triune God paying living childhood life as a, probably being called as a bastard child, dying this humiliating death on the cross. Jesus could have explained, but 
in the fullness of his glory and power, but he just explained just enough to pique interest, never to overwhelm or overpower. Jesus, in his display, he always withheld a little bit. He never engaged in the way we saw God engaging in the Exodus with that fullness of his glory. No, he held back. And his glory and his power was always a little hidden, not fully displayed, especially on that cross. And you know what? When Jesus did speak, people did think that he was crazy or just blaspheming as a liar. As we continue during the season of Advent, remembering that Christmas is not our birthday, I want to just kind of throw out a practical suggestion. If you're like me, and you find yourself wanting to, and often doing this thing, explaining things, because you don't really necessarily fear man as much, well, you do in an indirect way, but you want to, you find yourself explaining to be understood. My challenge to you during this season of Advent, as I'm challenging myself, is to choose to not explain. Choose to trust in the sufficiency of what Christ did by coming, living, dying. And when you find yourself wanting to justify and explain and be understood, let me challenge you. For whatever season you choose to, during the season of Advent, choose to trust in the finished work and don't explain. It's gonna be hard. You're gonna be tempted. But as you're wrestling inside, examining your heart, God will purify and refine you. It's going to be hard. But then I think we'll be better prepared to be used as he refines us and amplifies us for his glory. On the flip side, if you're one of those people who just never speak up, it's like, yeah, I don't want to you know, rock the boat. Then I think the flip side, I would challenge you. Stop being afraid of people. Trust in the full sufficiency of what Jesus did with his life, death, and resurrection, and speak up. Don't be so afraid of what people may say, especially those who are closest to you. Trust more that you are who God says you are than how you feel as other people make you feel. It's going to be hard. But again, I believe that it's a great time for God to refine us and amplify us for his glory. The season of Advent, as we consider looking at Jesus' yes, which ultimately points to the yes of God for the reconciliation of humanity in the life and death of Jesus. What if we stop looking at disruptions in our lives as a something to be dismissed or avoid, but indeed something that God brings to his favored ones? I know Pastor Eugene mentioned about a very real possible disruption that the Pilgrim Church 
will undergo in some future, we don't know when, and what that would entail for CGS as we follow. But instead of thinking and feeling and taking in this as something to be avoided, you know, Pastor Gina and I, we talked about this sermon series about a month and a half ago, and I took this topic. I didn't know that this would be happening at this time. I really didn't. I had no clue. But here we are. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm preparing, it's like, are you trying to say something to me, God? Maybe. We don't know. But I think we can definitely posture ourselves in a way where we prepare ourselves for those life disruptions, not as a curse, not as a something to be avoided, but daring to believe that as God's favorite blessed ones, we begin to trust, and if it is God's will, let him disrupt our lives for his glory. Let's pray. God, I confess, and perhaps a lot of us here might resonate with this sentiment. We don't like changes. We definitely don't like disruptions. And especially if those things have to do with things that we've been waiting for, hoping for. Can't imagine the weight of this thing that Mary is able to let go, Lord. And God, we have things in our lives that we've been waiting for such a long time. And the, the prospect, the idea of allowing you to disrupt these important things, God, it, it's hard. Yet, Lord, we look to you during this season of Advent. We look to your servants like Mary, knowing that ultimately we look to the disruption that you brought on to yourself. Eternal, perfect, union that you had, that you disrupted so that you may reconcile us back to yourself. God, I don't pretend to understand fully or even a lot, but Lord, as we continue during this season of Advent, we look to you, Lord, and we look to your servants. Give us courage to examine where we are, courage to reframe the way we look at our life situations so that, Lord, you do the work of continuing to refine us and amplify us for your glory in your name.